and welcome to Spilling the Truth. Back from vacation. Oh, man. Super vacation. I guess. Even though I felt like we worked harder on vacation than I do actually at work. I worked harder trying to stay sober. <laughs> man. That was the hardest thing I was trying to do. Right? Especially in all that heat. I mean, it was weird being in 90 degree weather, which was perfectly nice for us and still struggling just a little bit. So to kind of fill some people in, Jonathan and myself just got back from The Gorge, which might be the most beautiful music venue in the world. Yeah. Then again, I've never been to Fukushima. Well, I guess you don't want to go there. (laughs) (laughs) For the Fukushima, a radioactive amusement (laughs) park and uh, amphitheater where we have lights everywhere, but yet there's no electricity on. Yeah, you're like, uh, so how was the show? Yeah, radioactive. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine dragons are going to be very good. Oh my there. god! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sensing a concert in the future. Oh, that, that's a great man. The show was so good; it literally gave me cancer. <laughs> Ouch! Too soon. Yeah, right. What's actually funny is we're going to talk about Fukushima at some point today in the show too. Yeah, especially since we saw this article about radioactive isotopes ending up in wine uh, over here in California. It was bound to happen. Yeah, why not? I, I mean, think at this point, everybody was freaking out back in the day about it being in fish, meats, whatever. It made its way across. And now here it is, four years, five years later, whatever it was, wine. I think How long ago was Fukushima? Oh, God. I don't five, know. Six five. years? Yeah, time flies so fast. Holy crap. It <laughs> might be six years ago? It might have been. Man, you don't really realize how far something is that until like way later down the road. I don't think they're even going to realize the repercussions in the world from that for another 20 years. Yeah, that or nothing happens at all. <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, there's definitely a place you can't live anymore in Japan, but... Oh, well. Well, I think they're still just just now starting to get into uh, Chernobyl. Oh, yeah, they built that massive sarcophagus that uh, covers the place, oh, what, 30 years later now? That thing is so cool looking. Yeah, so this article that I read has basically said that they are finding uh, levels of cesium-137 in bottles of wine from California, and they've tested against bottles pre-Fukushima versus post-Fukushima to see if that that was the actual reason, and, um, and every bottle tested thereafter has tested positive for it. You know, I saw a thing a long time ago that was talking about, uh, and it was really cool, they were talking about how they find... Um, uh, paintings that aren't real, like whether it was from like some real old artist and whatnot. And the way they found it was when they test the paint on the um, the picture, that if there's no cesium-137, it definitely was before 1944, 1945, when we first te- tested nuclear devices. So then they could tell if they're fake or not. <laughs> That'd be really crazy if there's going to be a time where people are testing wines to see if they're real or not based on if there's uh, any radioactive isotopes in it. I mean, I, th- I think they... It's a crazy it? color. I know, right? It's like... Uh it's morning pee after I just ran a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good description for it. It's <laughs> apple juice that's gone flat or morning pee. Oh, man. So for everybody who's wondering, all right, so today uh, we are drinking for a red wine, uh, Fasacole, if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, Rosa de Monticello. Monticino. Monticello. <laughs> Monticino. And who is this one, Damien? Uh, it's uh, Suavia's Suave. It's one of their older vintages. So one of the reasons I actually grabbed the Suave today was because there's been a lot of interesting things that come out of social media. And through all the data that we get on social media, they're able to say, okay, these are the most misspelled words in certain states, or these are the most used words amongst certain type of society. So 
we got on the topic the other day about the most misspelled words in each state. I'm looking at you, Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> your most misspelled word is Wisconsin in your own state. How do you misspell your own state? Seriously. <laughs> Come on, guys. So, I get it if it's Mississippi. You could kind of get that wrong. So, so going down these rabbit holes, uh, I actually looked up an article that found the seven most spoke about wine grapes on social media. Okay. And I was really shocked that in the top seven is Suave. Which is funny because it looks phonetic, basically. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, the, the producer on this is Suavia, mm, uh, and it's Suave. Just to, you know, not totally confuse you. Right. <laughs> the Italians <laughs> never do that. Not at all, one bit. Yeah, so they listed... This, this is actually very, very shocking, and I want to have a little conversation about this as we actually get into it. So the most uh, talked about grape varietals between Twitter... Instagram and Facebook are going to be, of course, Cabernet Sauvignon, mm-hmm. Zinfandel, okay, Merlot, okay, Suave. That's really random. Verdejo. Yeah, I can see they getting popular. And Zweigelt. Is that that Greek wine? <laughs> Obviously, you've never it's made not. Zweigelt. I'm assuming it's got to be. I'm going with Austrian or German. Much better guess. Yeah. Zweigelt. You know, I've represented a couple different types of Zweigelts. I've had some that were uh, more dry. Some of the other ones I had were uh, almost made into a sweet wine. Uh, like a okay. su- I've had a sweet red that I represented. Uh, oh, couple- so it's a red wine? Yeah. Oh, okay. Man, I've been doing this. I've been making wine for a while. I've never even heard of that grape. But I was really shocked that uh, of all the white varietals, Sauvignon Blanc was not on the list. I think people are probably getting bored with it. Maybe. Yeah. I think our generation <laughs> of people is expanding into really obscure grapes. Do you think the it's the millennials that are just out there looking for these obscure ones? But you know, we say millennials, but the funny thing is, is I guarantee what people between, let's say, 55 and their deathbeds are drinking mostly Chardonnay, Sau Blanc, and Pinot Grigio. And I'd imagine people, yeah, probably between 25 and, I don't know, like 35 are the people who are willing to branch and try every single white. Because anybody under 21 is drinking Moscato or whatever's in a box with a cool name like Arbor Mist. Or Summer Rain, or <laughs> what other nonsense drinks are out there? I think that I saw a Smirnoff Rosé because it was cranberry. <laughs> Perhaps because there's more restaurants that are putting these wines on their lists, uh, and people are Googling them more or trying them more versus... I'm not quite sure. I mean, unless there's somebody's last name is Zweigelt out there, and that's why Zweigelt is popping up so much. <laughs> it's some weird new Instagram guy. You don't see it on restaurant lists that very often. No, you definitely don't. I say the most predominant whites you ever see is always a, some sweet Riesling, Sauvignon for sure, and a plethora of Chardonnay, and then the obscure one. I was over at uh, Fat Ox a couple weeks back with Sarah, and we ordered a Falangina, and the lady was so surprised that I was even able to pronounce that one. She was like, really? I was like, yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> you know what that... Also, by the way, if you're a server and somebody asks you if you're a weird wine, don't go, really? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to sound shocked. Yeah, sound shocked that somebody knows what they're drinking. You know, the thing with the restaurant business I always said is that if you go by yourself and you're a, a waitress or you're a hostess or host, don't say just one. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's just like, oh, just one. And so <laughs> I was like, oh, by yourself tonight. <laughs> so I'm judging you already right out of the gate. You seem lonely. Yeah. It's just it's it's weird. It's a weird tone of voice you take with somebody. You don't even realize you do it. I go out a lot by myself. I actually enjoy going to movies by myself. I enjoy going out to theater by myself. Sometimes it's just my time to reflect. And make new friends. Yeah. It reminds me of that Forgetting Sarah Marshall part where he's uh, walks up and he's like, yeah, it's just me. He's like, really? Like, you're not going to be bored by yourself in here? Do you need a magazine? <laughs> right. Yeah, you definitely don't want to Definitely don't want to be the host doing that. Nope. All right. So That smells crazy. So Zweigelt, Suave, and Verdejo. 
Okay. It just it blows my mind that it's not something along the lines of Riesling, Gruner. Yeah, Gruner, I would imagine, would have been in there because Gruner Vetliner is a delicious white wine, especially where we're at in Arizona, where it's you know it's 110 degrees right now. We're gonna it's have a we're gonna have to have a uh, a period on the show where we it's teach John how to pronounce the grapes. <laughs> <laughs> that that will go to episode 2000 if we it'll, make it there. <laughs> be, uh, how do you? We're gonna play a game called How Do You Pronounce This? I'm gonna hold Listen, you flashcards. I, I already messed up <laughs> Lejuanese from from the one the rosé we had the Fasacoli Rosso de Monticello, even though it's Monticino because <laughs> my brain is working on weird. And it's Rosso, not Rosso, but Rosso. Hey. <laughs> oh, Same difference, I guess. <sighs> I love that I'm in this, been doing this for 10 years now, and I still can't pronounce anything appropriately. It, we were just talking about it just before we started, was the fact that when it comes to tasting flavor profiles, a lot of the times, I'm the kind of person that will say, I taste you know, blueberries and cherries and slate and certain nuanced characteristics where John goes, well, I taste Cabernet Merlot and a little touch of Zinfandel in there. Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't know exactly what the berries are, but he knows exactly no, what's I in t- it. No, I can definitely tell you if there's Cab Franc, Petit Sirar, or Petit Verdot in that wine half the time. So I'm pretty sure that this Suave has none of those. No. I will say, though, one thing, though, from a characteristic. It smells like somebody crushed up Honey Nut Cheerios and liquefied it. <laughs> I like that that real nutty, real nutty, bready. Nutty, bready. It definitely, I love that. <laughs> the morning after you peed from it a does. marathon. Oh, my God. It is a dark-looking one it's definitely gold it, there's not the brown in it, it's like not really at all so it definitely didn't get oxidized it's just an old white wine all right so this is their uh it's a single vineyard that they produce and i believe it does go through maybe some neutral oak i'm not 100 percent sure on that hmm. uh, but it's an 08 vintage so typically suaves are not a wine that you think about drinking 10 years old um the the Le Rive is a late harvest, so they pick it a little bit later in the year. Okay. Um, so it typically has a little bit more of a rounder mouthfeel. Sometimes a little bit more a little R- overripe. A little more RS in it, um, which is residual sugar. It's really because I don't get any sweetness from this. I mean, minus the whole honey nut. It's like honey nut Cheerios mixed with uh, Elmer's paste. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, are things that uh, got me through glue. my childhood. I, I ate them all when I was a kid. Hey, man, it just looked like marshmallow spread at that point. <laughs> you can make Rice Krispie treats out of that. Uh, it's really fun to try old white wines as they age. I've been very lucky to have various producers try and shock me or kind of shock the world and pull out a wine. They say, everyone says this wine doesn't age. Try it. and try a. have tried a 15-year-old Fiano uh, from Campania that blew us away and it's a wine that mentally you don't think it's going to age well as a distributor or as a wholesaler often we blow these wines out after two years because it's an as we say old vintage closeouts but 10 years later this wine is still stunning uh, the when um they do the blowouts for some of the distribution companies out here i can't believe some of the wines they put on there for as cheap as they are like those old rieslings that we have the donhoffs those things are some of the best wines i've ever had and they're four five and six or oh four oh five oh six and they're amazing same thing with the uh, Brendelmeyer, Gruner Vetliner, a bunch of Rieslings. Yeah, it's I, I definitely was shocked once I started getting into white wines and learning that, you know, as much as I like fresh wines, I really, really do. And there's some wines that obviously can't make it that long. But finding really obscure grapes, especially out of Italy, making it 10, 15 years later, and they're delicious. Like this one right now. <laughs> so also the grape variety in Suave is something that I have been, I, I always gave people a hard time about because everybody pronounces it differently. 
It's kind of like uh, Malvasia versus Malvasia. Malvasia. <laughs> it, it's uh, Garganaga. Garganica. But a lot of people say gar- Garganega. So Suave is not even the grape. No. All right. It's the region. So su- Suavia, Suave is made from Gargana. Gar- <laughs> Gargola. <laughs> Gargiola. I am going to. So the next show, we're going to do this. We're going to have. I'm going to make <laughs> flashcards. And it's going to be John pronounce this. With the little, like, <laughs> the the dash in between and the hard sound here and the capitalized A. What we'll do is we'll, we'll have, like, a viewer, like, write in session where they, they send in all these varietals and we'll have you try and pronounce them on air. Oh, God. <laughs> this is going to go poorly. I should do it the more. I feel like we're getting to a variety show at this point already. <laughs> <laughs> and John, name that grape. <laughs> So, so for those of you who have never heard of Suave out there, this is very unlike any other Suave I've ever had in my entire life. It's not drinking like any other Suave. Typically, these are almost like a cross between a Sauvignon Blanc and a Pinot Grigio. Hmm. And that I guarantee that there's a Suave producer cringing that I use those two grapes <laughs> to describe this wine. But for it's the definitely average, some Italian guy yelling with his fist um, right now. Yes, I guarantee somebody, Not saying a word. somebody threw a uh, baguette across the room <laughs> like that listening to this. But it's it's a wine that are they're they're wines that are perfect for summertime. They're perfect. They're crisp. They're clean. They're refreshing. They're typically not very expensive. Um, one of the main producers out there is Pirapan. 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 Oh, um, so we're gonna play name the producer for you. You wait. <laughs> yeah. Should we just change the name of the podcast to Butcher That Winery? <laughs> butcher that wine. Butcher name. that name. <laughs> we'll have a second one of those. Uh, but actually, this brings up a good interesting thing: is that. We're just two people sitting around talking about wine, and we're in the business, and we're still butchering this. Imagine how confusing it is for the average consumer. Oh, the yeah. average person getting into this is maybe trying to order a glass of wine on a list that doesn't want to order something and sound dumb. So maybe they're not going to order a glass of wine off a wine list if they can't pronounce it. You're right, because I get – so at our winery, people have the hardest time ordering the Gewürztraminer because they look at me and go, yeah, I'll take the Chardonnay, the Sablanc, and the – and the second I hear that stretch of the the, I know they're thinking Gewürztraminer, but they're just running a brain like, I don't want to say this. I don't want to look stupid saying this name out loud, which is totally fine, by the way. If you're getting something, go ahead and just say, yeah, the Gewürztraminer or the Gewürztraminer, whatever anybody says, just – the waitress, waiter will sit there and be like, oh, yeah, it's Gewürztraminer. It's, we're not judging you for saying a name wrong. No, unless not. you unless you say Merlot wrong or Pinot Noir and say Pinot Noir or Merlot, then we are 100% judging you. You should know better. <laughs> well, that's probably why people order Merlot so much because it's the easiest wine to pronounce. Yeah. I or mean, Cab. You but, just shorten you look, it down. But you look at Cabernet Sauvignon, and it could actually intimidate somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, because maybe you're like, oh, is it Cabernet? Well, the worst ones to me are always French and German because they don't even put the grape on there. Well, especially with certain French uh, French producers. At least Italy, uh, well, just because I know Italy so well, I kind of know the grape, but half the time you're right, they don't even put the uh, the name on there. They're just putting the town. And there, there's certain languages also in which you pronounce every letter, and there's also certain languages in which the letters are either silent or pronounced a way that we're not used to. Yeah, or it's the same exact grape in America, and it's different in another country, like a Zinfandel in America and a Primitivo in Italy. So that's probably also intimidating when you really want a Zinfandel, but somebody on a list has Primitivo, and you're like, ah, I don't know, just give me a Zin. <laughs> yeah. Or something like a Zin. It, 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 it's got to be really difficult for the average consumer out there that's looking at a, a list of white wines, and all they really understand is, say, Chardonnay or maybe you know, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, and and are intimidated to try and even order something they can't pronounce. I mean, it's almost a disservice we do. Or I think people, 
make people feel uncomfortable too sometimes. Like, oh, you mean the Gewurztraminer? Yeah, if you get that one snooty Ugh. psalm or that one snooty waitress who's like, mm, yeah, the Gewurztraminer. No, I don't think, I think that that's going away very fast right now. I no. think that this, this young breed of psalms that's coming up through the business right now is they want to make wine still fun and approachable. I think a lot of them want to educate people. My, the big problem I have is when a psalm starts to speak to somebody with a wine knowledge of a three, and the psalm is speaking with a wine knowledge of a ten. Oh yeah, definitely. Sometimes you gotta talk to my mom in a little bit more frank terms than you know, you know, Cassis and Sandalwood and Chateau blah blah blahs. Yeah, I mean, you could name uh, certain aromas and characteristics all day long, but sometimes the people just don't know what that taste is. Like I still, to this day, there's certain characteristics and wines that people will tell me straight out of the gate. That's what this is. But my brain doesn't go to Cassis. When it comes to Cabernet, I could sit there and taste a wine and most likely nail that it has Cab or Cab in it. But if like it tastes like Cassis and Current, I've never had that in my entire life. So my brain tends to drift into a totally different fruit or a different aroma or something. Like honestly, Chianti to me, this is going to sound terrible. And I love Chianti, but I always get burnt like day after pizza stuffed in a couch smell. And I love it. It's one of the best tasting things ever. It's like Hungry Howie's next day. Now, <laughs> or for people who are not in Arizona, Domino's or Pizza Hut or whatever. We're going to have a number of Chianti shows because I think that's one of the most misunderstood oh, types easily. of wine right now in America because there's Italian restaurants everywhere and every Italian restaurant has a Chianti, but they're all all over the board. They're all completely different. I mean, honestly, the, the Rosso de Montalcino that we have right now is not far away from a Chianti. Yeah. And I know that they're going to want to kill me for even saying this, but, <laughs> but, yeah. but really, it's, 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 a, it's a Sangiovese grape. It's, it's, a, it's a cousin of the same grape that goes into your Chiantis. Um, and it's grown in the same typical region. It's maybe done a little bit differently along the way, but it's essentially in the same family as a Chianti. Yeah. And I, I do find it amazing that I'll find um, some people coming in and asking me, you know, I really love Chianti. What do you recommend? And just outside of the winery, I could be like, oh, you've really got to try this uh, Rosso or this Brunello. If you want to spend the extra money, get a Brunello. It's some of the best out there. I'm like, oh, well, I don't want that. I, I just like Chianti. I'm like, I'm telling you, it is a better Chianti. It's the same exact grape in the, for the most part. It's just way better done. And you could find some Rosos that are cheaper than Chiantis, and they're amazing compared to those. So, yeah, it's definitely getting people to kind of adjust what they're seeing and buying and whatnot. And when you go to the store and you see Chianti, Chianti Classico, uh, Chianti um, Grand Selezione, you're, you're looking yeah, at so many one. different types that it could be kind of, once again, intimidating. They don't make it easy on the average wine consumer. No. Yeah, at least on the beer side, they kind of did it right. You know, you like an IPA, you can get an IPA. Oh, if it's double IPA, it's going to be a little more alcohol, but it's an IPA. And then you just kind of go, oh, well, I guess I'll try this new brand. You stick with it. But you're right. You can get walk in and have a Cabernet from Napa, a Cabernet from Sonoma, and a Cab blend from france and it's going to be vastly vastly different so then it's a little more intimidating that you're like okay well i don't know which cab i like but i just like this cab so then you go to a restaurant and you see cabernet on the menu you try it and it's nothing like the ones that you had before especially if you're like a napa drinker like my dad for instance 
never in a million years liked Chianti or pretty much Italy in general because he always got the cheap, you know, what was the one the uh, your restaurants would have it with the candle and the wicker basket. Wicker basket Chianti. Oh my God. And like the jug that was there. And it looked great. Like it was like, oh, we went to Olive Garden. I had a Chianti. I'm like, well, that's appalling. But, and he'd be like, oh, Italy just makes the worst wine. But meanwhile, when you met him, you poured him a Brunello and now it's, I think his second favorite grape out there next to an Cat. He loves Brunello. He'll drink Brunello all day long because he never knew that there was just better varietal out there of the same damn great. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the red wine maybe real quick. I'll, okay, so I want to go back to the white. The white is drinking amazing as it's actually opening up. It's actually up. really nice, yeah. it, It's getting more honeysuckle flavors, some more like almost like white flowers. It's more like a peach cobbler. Uh, it's like funny to say, I was going to say like a dessert, like almost like a creme brulee. Yeah, think, of, th- think about it when you taste it though. Think about it like a peach cobbler, like that cooked brulee like a little creamy, like full mouthfeel. Like it's, it's really fun. I it still has a decent amount of acid there. It's definitely, I would never ever would have thought this would have aged well, and it did. This aged very nicely, and it was not aged properly. This sat in uh, two <laughs> different shelves, maybe in a windowsill, and for a little while underneath a bed. It definitely went through a few U-Haul trucks being moved. It's been moved times. to three different houses. It, I don't think it ever was in a cooler. It was in a, one cooler for a little bit. It's been a fridge was for it? a little bit. Uh-huh. It was out of the fridge. Also, it's in Arizona, so who knows with the trucks that got moved around. And it didn't get cooked. I don't taste any cooked flavors in this at all. No. So I'll give a little shout out to the family that makes this. Uh, it's three sisters. Uh, they are amazing. It really is one of the sweetest families I've ever met in Northern Italy. Awesome. Um, really. Pa- pa- where, where in Northern Italy? Like by Venice, by... In Suave. Suave. Suave is not like the AVA. It's actually like the area. Yeah. Is there like a, a, a town or... Because I'm thinking of like, if you think of Tuscany, it's like a whole area. Suave is actually the whole area. It's a, yeah, it's a region. Oh, it's really cool. Yep. Just little things to learn about Italy. 19 oh different God. countries that don't like themselves. <laughs> Or the others. 23, like 23, I think, regions. We're also going to play. Jonathan kind of knows geography, but not really <laughs> as we do this. <laughs> oh, my God. We're going to have so many different varieties, like show <laughs> things. Yeah. <laughs> so that part of Germany that's just south of it's great, right? You mean Austria? Yeah, that's what I meant. So yeah. I, I, I challenge people with white wines now is to people, people with red wines think, OK, I, how long should I lay this down? But they buy a white wine. They don't think, how long should I lay this down? And this is something that you would not think would lay down for a long time well, and it really has. And it's really fun to showcase the flavors and the nuances and how this wine has changed over the years. Yeah. I personally would not think of holding on to or laying down a, a typical Suave. I, I, no. I want to drink it young and fresh and right away. Yeah. This is definitely something that I think by itself right now, if you pulled this out while we were sitting outside in this weather, I'd be like, oh, this is too big. Like, this isn't really refreshing in the way I want for this type of temperature. But if we were having this for dinner, like, this would be perfect because this would definitely complement the meal with how big of a wine that this is. But it's not that refreshing, super high acid nice nice 110 degree outside weather drinking wine i want this as my peach cobbler for dinner yeah right have this for dessert <laughs> right all right so uh the red wine uh so i guess our theme today is gonna be italian um you know i wasn't quite sure how the white wine was gonna hold up after all these years so we opened a red to go along with it and it's a red i knew was gonna be a home run um yeah. so it's a rosso di Montalcino from fasacole so good fasacole is one of the smallest Brunello producers I've ever seen in my entire life. I believe they have a total uh, employee base of three people. <laughs> Dad, 
grandpa and grandson. Ah, and that's their entire staff. In fact, I believe their dad actually still works at another winery every day. He goes, hops on his bike, bikes to the winery next door, goes to work, comes home and works in his own winery. Is this the one where they're at the base of Argiano's Vineyard or something? They are. Okay. And so if for, for people who are listening, Argiano's an amazing Brunello slash Rosso producer. Yeah, and in, in, in the region, they're one of the more southern producers of Brunello. Um, they're, they're typically ready to drink right now, but I'll tell you right now, the Rosso that Fasacole makes is more of a Brunello than most Brunello producers. Yeah. So the, the difference, so in Europe, there is actually this magical thing that happens that every flagship wine has like a little baby brother that you can drink to get those similar characteristics without spending the, the flagship prices. Most of your greatest super Tuscans will have almost a little baby brother that maybe they're only aged for one year instead of three years. If you're drinking Barolo, your Barolo producers will often release a Lange Nebbiolo, which will be often the same fruit that is going into their Barolos, but they're just releasing a little bit young. So you have a chance to drink that fruit early, not aged as much for a fraction of the price. I've often said I would rather drink five bottles of Rosso instead of spending $100 on one bottle of uh, Barolo or Brunello. So their Rosso de Montalcino is the same fruit that's going to end up going into their Brunellos. Often these will be some younger vines. Um, One interesting fact is that when you decide you're going to make Rosso and Brunello, you actually pay all your taxes up front. And you actually have to label your barrels as go- being either Rosso or Brunello. <laughs> I love the Italians. Give me my money up front before you get it in time. <laughs> yeah. So after a year, you could turn your Rosso into Rosso. You can label it and release it. After three years, you can release your Brunello. If your Brunello is not that good, you can declassify your Brunello back to Rosso. And it's happened before where producers have released all the Brunello as Rosso instead. But if your Rosso is unbelievably good... You can't classify it up. Mm -hmm. You can't say, man, my Rosso is so good. Can I just pay a little more taxes in Asia for two more years and see what happens? Uh Uh-uh. Which which is the most Italian thing you could possibly do is under the table. You know, hey, let me bring this up just a little bit. (laughs) I mean, who knows what they do over there? I mean, there is so much shady stuff that happens constantly. There's always some Brunello gay, Chianti gay, somebody selling something that's definitely not in that bottle. Yeah, that was another thing I wanted to bring up, too, and talk about was the fact that, you know, it seems every other week there is something hitting the, the news about some sort of scam going on in Europe. Usually it's f- somebody scamming French wines. It's always the French wines. It, yeah. it, it, it's been the Spaniards bringing in stuff and labeling it as Cote de Ron. Mm-hmm. And then there were the Italians uh, labeling Prosecco as high-end champagne. As high-end champagne. Do you see the one where the, uh, I think it was, it was either Spanish or Italian producers, but uh, they were trucking in. Uh, I mean, imagine um, like gas trucks, like those big giant gas trucks of wine in it, and it was all rosé, and they were trucking to Spain, and people blocked the roads, came out, and started like hammering that stuff to leak it out, so they stopped selling it. I'm pretty sure it was Spain, because they didn't want rosé from France coming into Spain and being sold under a Spanish label. Now, if you're buying $5 wine, whatever. I'm not so worried about it. Yeah, enjoy that wine. But when, when you're a collector, you're somebody that's going, you know what? I really want to have a bottle of Chateau Mouton. I really want to have a bottle of, you know, some high-end champagne. If there's something you want to have, and you go to buy it at an auction, and it ends up being a fake. Ugh. I mean, that's horrible. And you don't even know. You like, know. If you've never had it before, maybe you saved all your lawn to buy this bottle from, mm-hmm. a, from Christie's Auction House or this respectable auction house. And you don't even know. You pop, you're like, eh, that, that was okay. That was good. Yeah. And it turns out 10 years later that it wasn't, wasn't real. So, so Ruby, Ruby got his hands on it. So Rudy, Rudy, Ruby. Yeah. Rudy. Yeah. 
which for everybody who's listening, the uh, there was a guy named Rudy who was honestly it was one of the most amazing stories you can hear is of how he manipulated the wine industry to selling fake bottles of these high-end French burgundies and Bordeaux wines, and he was just doing this in his kitchen for the longest time, relabeling, blending his own stuff up, and getting away with it. It was pretty unbelievable. It's actually on Netflix. I think it's called, like, Red Obsession or... Uh, the Red Obsession no. is the one about the Chinese was wine it grapes? market. Sour Grapes. It was okay. called Sour Grapes. That's what it was, and it's this whole documentary. It's pretty unbelievable. And it affected the wine industry because, unfortunately... You know, people who buy all these wines from these auctions got hit with a lot of fake wines. Now, a lot of people are counteracting that. Uh, I've had bottles recently coming into my winery that you can barely make it out. But at the very bottom of the bottle, there's these laser engraved numbers at the very bottom of it. And you can only see it if you catch it in the right light. So you could find out if your bottle's real or not, which is, you know, just another way of doing it. Some people are putting on labels with barcodes. There's a lot going on. I'm thinking that might be what they're going to do next. There's going to be a QR code. There's going to be a scannable code on the bottle where you're going to be able to scan it with your phone and it's going to link directly to the winery and say yes. And you can actually trace. That would be a good idea. You can trace that bottle. Where from the winery, went. who it went through, all the way to your table, <laughs> like a uh, uh, like a Carfax, but for wine. Wine facts. <laughs> show me the w- show, show me, me the, the wine facts. facts. <laughs> There's just it's gonna be a drunk fox laying on the ground pouring wine into his mouth, like Dude, show me we, the wine facts. As literally Co- uh, copyright this 2018. <laughs> I was about to say. 30 seconds after this airs, somebody's going to actually go on and have this right idea. Right now, there's literally somebody going to be typing this <laughs> up right now. Like, got it. I mean, it's a great idea. I mean, yeah. I mean so ha- to whoever creates wine facts, when you make a billion dollars, just remember that we helped give you that idea. <laughs> yeah, I want a bottle of Brunello. I-, I would love a very, very expensive <laughs> bottle of Brunello. As a matter of fact, I'm like, okay, as a matter of fact, you can come on the show and pour all your wines. Not a faked one. Not a faked one. <laughs> <laughs> he shows up with a real Mouton and a case of fake ones that he bought. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, so they just... It just came up where they caught a guy in Spain faking Spanish wines, and I think this is the first time that the Spaniards have actually been caught faking their own wines. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because they always get caught faking other people's wines. Uh, so uh, it was uh, Florida Pingus. Oh, that wine is so good, too. And uh, one other wine, but they had netted $1.7 million over the last four years. Dang. Selling bottles. Just just a Florida Pingus it was a, or it all was, of their fake wine? No, it was two wineries mainly. It was the one that, um, it was Pingus and Vega Sicilia. Vega Sicilia is the big one, yeah. Yep, those are the two wines being faked. And they traced it back to a restaurant, uh, to a restaurant owner that was selling them for like 20 <laughs> bucks a bottle. Jesus. And he was selling cases and cases, like $1.7 million for the Pingus <sighs> for 20 bucks a bottle. Oh my God, the amount of wine that that guy poured into, like junk wine too, probably into those I bottles. Would, I wonder what they were putting, how do you decide what to put into it? I guess it's, you know what the other thing is? It's, and this is the crazy thing about these fraud wines, is you really really have to have an expert sit there and tell you, dude, that is not Mouton. That is not Lafitte. That's not Lafleur. because I've had, I mean, you and I have both sat down and had a Brunello where we looked at each other and went, that doesn't taste like a Brunello. Or, uh, or when that one time you poured the Barbaresco for me and I was a hundred percent convinced it was corked and you're like, Nope, that's just the way this thing opens up. And it does. But if I got like a different year, it wouldn't even taste remotely the same. So it's I could I could see how a guy like that can get away with doing that for a long time until you eventually probably have to chemically break it down that that's a fake bottle, or well I guess the wine not the bottle itself. <laughs> and I mean when you think about using the barcodes, I guess with the with wine facts you could always say okay this bottle was drank so like the Chinese market that will actually oh. refill that bottle 
and resell it. Yeah. You can't do that because it will show up on wine facts that it was drank. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's still in somebody's cellar somewhere. Can you imagine the amount of people that have got to sit there and constantly update, oh, I just drank this bottle, or you could scan it, I guess, and it pops up that it was drank. Cellar Tracker does that, where you could actually tracker. you could scan your barcodes and then leave reviews. So we just made up wine facts and it's already Cellar Tracker. <laughs> well, 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 what Cellar Tracker does is it's. You could you could you could scan your bottle out of your inventory and do a review on it, and then it will send an update to other people that have that same vintage in their cellar and say, "This guy in Tennessee just opened up his 2001 Mouton, and he uh. said it was it needed five more years." So you get an idea of okay, I don't need to open my bottle yet. Whereas somebody might say, "I just opened my bottle and it's pushing the edge of its life." Oh no, I have three in my cellar. I better I'll, open them. I like Cellar Tracker for that because actually, most of the time, right when I get a bottle of wine that I'm thinking about open, I'll look at Cellar Tracker and see the most recent dates on it, which usually are like five reviews within the last two years. And they'll say, don't drink it, don't drink it, don't drink it, don't drink it. And then the one person on there's like, drink it right now. This is amazing. All right, well, I'm not listening to you. You're that fifth dentist who says that, <laughs> don't, don't have this one. But yeah, so at least there'll be reviews that are like, it's too young, it's too old. Like when we were at a uh, fish. What, what when did we open the uh, the Syrah that we had from um, Novelty Hill? Janet. Janet. I, I put that up on Reddit for fun, saying, "Oh, here's the picture that we did. We're drinking this, blah blah blah." And I had 20 comments saying, "Baby killer." <laughs> I'm like, "All right, I get it. Like we're drinking this wine really young, but still, guys, like I'm not bringing this back in an airplane." Uh, Syrah drinkers are very particular about drinking Syrah Dude, with some age I on it. I've noticed that it's well because. Man, so you Syrah drinkers out there are some cult-like I, people. In I drink. love you guys. Keep drinking that Syrah. It's God. it's so good. But I understand that it needs a little bit of age. Like, young Syrah's just not... Dude, that's one of the craziest grapes on the planet. <laughs> it ages so gracefully and so wonderfully. I mean, after after three or four years, the wine has taken on such different characteristics. And it's it, like a lot of times the oak and the tannins and everything just integrates into the wine fully after a couple of years. I think... Syrah more than Cabernet often needs those couple extra years. Yeah, definitely. You know, and and California Syrahs, I mean, there's you can find such amazing deals out there, especially between the cool climate all the way down from if you're in Santa Lucia up to our suit, even uh, the Santa Rita Hills area, Santa Barbara, and go all the way up into Oregon. The Syrah swing difference is unbelievable. I had some that were in Sonoma that came from the base of the area, and it was nice, cold, really light, thirteen percent alcohol Syrah. And it was nice. And then, you know, I get an Australian Shiraz that rips my mouth apart and is thick as a steak. <laughs> Those things are delicious, though. Also, 17% alcohol, so you're drunk after one glass, you know, which is nice. I Cheap date. I feel the Australian market's poised to finally come back. Think so? I think they worked out all the, the critter wines. A lot of the crap that was produced out there, a lot of the stuff that was, you know, the juice box wines, faked wines, stuff that was just thrown together. You mean to tell me Yellowtail's going to have one hell of a resurgence in this country? <laughs> resurgence? They're already the number one wine in the country. Oh, jeez, are they really? Yeah, by far. It's <laughs> fantastic. I think Yellowtail and Barefoot, I think, sell more wine than every other winery pretty much put together. Is Barefoot uh, Australian too? No. Okay. Just, but those are the two most sold wines in the country. Like, we, and it's not even close. We should border up our walls and prevent that Australian wine from coming in you know what it's it's pri- serious, it's, it's, it's price point <laughs> yeah you know price point marketing when they did the super bowl ad a couple years ago they saw a ginormous increase was in that sales. the one where they were like who are you the rue or whatever i think so do I, the rue <laughs> i kind of blocked it out i was kind of at first upset that I, they were, there was a yellowtail commercial but then dude i didn't expect that from australia i honestly i remember foster's can being the most ridiculous offensive commercials ever and i loved every bit of them but now we get a classy rue commercial for yellowtail come on yellowtail be australian and punch somebody or something <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I don't really remember the commercial that much. I remember it was well done. And I remember them saying that the, the, the amount of yellowtail they were selling went up a huge number. Like the company saw a huge boost to that. Like it was one of the best boosts they've ever seen from a, <laughs> from an ad from a Super Bowl ad. I believe it. I think advertising's pro- key. <laughs> well, you know, so many of those Super Bowl ads, they come and go and they're just, you laugh, you move on. You're like, Oh, it's just another M&M's commercial. Or it's just another this, but certain ones have made an impact over the years. Like the GoDaddy. Mm-hmm. you know, GoDaddy put themselves on the map because of advertising, really Super Bowl advertising. Dude, remember uh, uh, the best advertising ever, still to this day, was Beats by Dre. They didn't even advertise. They just said, here, all you athletes wear these as in your press conference and warm-ups. And I think they became the number one selling headphones across the world in a matter of like months, probably. And then Dr. Dre made a billion dollars by having his name attached to something and their mediocre headphones at best. <laughs> well, I've never had a pair, so I can't comment I on did. that. I did. I had two pairs, and I absolutely love the bass because, you know, listening to techno and rap is the funnest thing ever in those things. It was, so I'm definitely going deaf by 40. It was called Beats by Dre, not Tones by Dre. Or <laughs> not, not High not, Notes. Not High Notes. <laughs> Symphonies by Dre. Treble by Dre. <laughs> <laughs> Violin and acoustics brought to you by Dr. Andre. That's funny. <laughs> but that's something that's been going on a lot recently with advertisers where they're giving people products to utilize instead of just doing ads. It happened with the video gaming industry with uh, the chairs where they gave those, oh, okay. the, the racing yeah. chairs, the DX racer chairs, they gave them the, all the, they gave them the, all the streamers and all the streamers started having those chairs. Now every gamer wants a racing chair. Dude, I never thought about that. You're right. Cause if you're watching a tri- Twitch streamer, all you see is the headset, the guy and whatever he's sitting in. Those chairs, they literally oh, gave goodness. every streamer a DX racer chair. Now everybody wants to spend $500 on a DX racer chair. That's crazy. And they're mediocre chairs at best. <laughs> <laughs> it's always but, the mediocre products, ma'am. Always. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're okay chairs. There's, there's, just like anything else, there's better products out there, and it's all in what you like. Mm-hmm. You know, I got my my problems with the DX chairs, but is that what you have? Is DX chair? I do not. Huh. What it, what is the one you got right now? Uh, it is a Titan Gold. Oh, okay, because that thing was a f- extremely difficult to come moving into your house. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty heavy duty chair. Yeah, I needed something for my big ass. Dude, I used to have this uh, this gaming chair, and I still remember it to this day because I used it forever, like back when I had uh, the N64, followed it up with the Dreamcast, and then eventually the big Xbox that if a Puma ran at you, you could kill it with it. And it was just a rocking chair, just a basic. It looked like a J. That's all it was, was just a J right on the ground. And that was the gamer chair of the time because all my friends had them and everything. And now they're like these sophisticated comfortable ergonomic chairs have you seen the ones with the joysticks on them too that you can like move around oh i, w- I went to e3 they had ones that are like have like built-in monitors that you <sighs> can like they're insane how they've gotten yeah they probably have like headphones like in the back of your head rest all right so yeah. so recently uh back to one gallo put out a a little article i thought was really interesting they had some breakdowns of some different stats from the wine industry And there's a lot of things about alternative packaging in here and why people drink. And some of these stats I actually did really find interesting. Um, It says 66% of consumers say they will change their drink dependence depending on what they are doing. So what does that mean? All right. They will change their drink depending on what they're doing. Like... (laughs) Like they're going to have beers if they go to the river. Yes. Or wine if they're having dinner. Yeah. Okay. So... Example, my father drank Pabst Blue Ribbon if he was hammering a nail, if he was painting the <laughs> fence, if he was at a wedding. 
Yeah. He drank Pabst Blue Ribbon. So That's putting what he in drank. work. <laughs> Let's just say he was part of the other 34%. <laughs> dinner, classy dinner, bedtime, doesn't matter. Didn't matter. Morning. It pair, the Blue Ribbons pair with everything. Do you, do you guys make mimosas with PBR instead <laughs> of sparkling wine? So I, I do the same thing. I mean, I, I, I change my drink habits depending on what I'm where I'm at, where I'm going. Yeah. But we also drink wine at a fish festival. Yeah. We also, we also drink a... All of the beer in Washington. <laughs> oh, and Canadian. Oh, no, that guy didn't give us Canadian beer. It says, this is interesting. So it says consumers are twice as likely to try something new in a restaurant or a bar than if they go to a retail store. Yeah, well, I can see that. Because if you're going into a retail store, you already know what you want. You know you want this cab, and because it's your cab, you want to get that cab. But if you're at a restaurant, the odds of you having that cab, shard, pinot, whatever, is probably not likely that it's going to be there. So now you got to kind of branch out a little bit. I could see why that would be that high. Maybe it's all those people going and Instagramming Verdejo and yeah. tweeting about it. There's just like one person out there constantly hashtag Verdejo on every single tweet that they have. I'm serious. The only way... Zweigelt made that. There's got to be a whole family of people with the last name Zweigelt that tweet a lot. Right. There's no way that there's that many people tweeting about Zweigelt right now. Yeah, that or like one Kardashian accidentally misspelled a word and everybody went, what is that? What's Zweigelt? Yeah, like if there was a kafefi. A kafefi. <laughs> yeah. Zweigelt is the new kafefi. <laughs> I mean, there's no way. Like, <laughs> I just, it's just such an obscure grape for that to be in the top seven most tweeted wine terms. Yeah. Verdejo makes sense. You know, being a Portuguese grape moving over into Spain and now we actually have some here in Arizona that somebody's trying to make. I have no idea if it's good or not. We'll have to try that one day. All right. So 82% of wine drinkers say wine should be fun and enjoyable. I mean, drinking is fun and enjoyable. But 34% of wine drinkers say that other wine drinkers take themselves too serious. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely probably true. So, so, so that means that two-thirds of my friends take themselves too serious. I'm trying to think of all the people that we know. I, I don't think half of them take themselves that seriously. But yeah, I think we're just the anomaly because we, we crap. Do does that mean we're the people who take ourselves too seriously? <laughs> but we we completely don't when it comes to wine. I mean, we I did mean, we did we are doing a podcast about drinking. We did drink Zima on our first podcast. We did have okay. We're definitely not serious. <laughs> so let's be realistic. That's a good here. point. <laughs> we're seriously not serious. Thirty eight percent of wine drinkers say they sometimes put ice in the glass if the wine is not cold enough. Oh. Those people are probably the same Whoa. awful people that put milk into the bowl first before they put their cereal in there. One out of three people. Yeah. Well, my mom's up in that category. I was about to say, I've seen your mom do it. I've seen my mom do it. Oh, man. Every time I break I've out a nice nice wine for my mom, she's like, what are we drinking? And I'm like, oh, this is a really cool, like, I got a Muga Viognier. I think you're going to love it. She's great. Chucks ice cubes into it. I'm just like, oh, gosh damn it. <laughs> why, do you, why do you do that? But you know what? Whatever. Enjoy your muddled down wine. It says... Older consumers tend to enjoy wine more frequently than younger counterparts. Good for you, older people. You've been doing it for so long, you deserve your second glass. Keeping me in business. Keep, yeah, keeping us in business. Uh, millennials are drinking all types of alcohol and have a broader uh, spectrum of things they consume than older customers. Because their ADD is off the chart. They go, oh, I love this. Oh, I love this. Oh, I love this. Oh, I love this. And they bounce from thing to thing to thing to thing. Have you ever noticed like a lot of these younger Psalms, and I only know a couple so far, but they keep trying to push out a brand new grape that nobody's ever heard of because they want to be like, oh, check out this cool new thing. And honestly, it's awesome. It's great. It gives you all the uh, opportunity in the world to try new stuff. 
But again, like, all right, let's focus just a little bit on something. Yeah. I'll argue with you a little bit on that because, I mean, it's it's true, but you need that. You you don't go to a brewery and, and get excited when the brewer comes down and is like, ah, let me talk to you about my lager. That's a good point. And, and the last thing a, a person who's spent their entire life learning about wine and is passionate about wine wants to come up and talk about their Pinot Grigio and their Cabernet on their list. Yeah. They, they want to talk about what differentiates right, themselves. Right, because I probably know that, hey, listen, you're going to drink my Pinot. You're going to drink my Cab. Yeah, you got to get excited about it. It's like I get excited about movies that are not mainstream. I get excited to tell somebody about a book that I read that nobody else has heard of or, yeah. or, or music that nobody else has ever oh, heard of. Oh, music for sure. I'm not like always like, hey, man, did you hear that new Ed Sheeran song? Yeah, did you? listen to 1047 this morning or kiss <laughs> fm for everybody because that's across america yeah i heard that 17 times today <laughs> where was it uh m- halfway between here and california 1047 becomes npr <laughs> which is weird because it's like that's a swing it's like hip-hop out here in like top 40 and then all of a sudden it just becomes npr around like indio yeah you're all pumped up <laughs> excited pumping fist on your way there and all of a sudden hello welcome today to npr we're going to talk about baking i was re- what's going on in britain you <laughs> like what? You listen to a lot of NPR. I love NPR, man. They put you on got the so voice and yeah. everything. Did I know it down? I swear they probably like mute the other person. Go stop yelling, and the other person's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to raise my voice on that last comment." <laughs> so, uh, alternative packaging. Have you ever had wine in a can? Yes, we're actually talking about putting some of our wine in a can. And. So I have a lot of thoughts on this one. I will say my favorite of all alternative packaging. I think screw tops are awesome. I think screw tops are an amazing thing for the industry because then you don't have to worry about, you know, do you have a corkscrew? Um, is the cork going to be held up in there? Or are you going to use your shoe to bash that cork out? And if anybody has no idea what I'm talking about, YouTube corkscrew or no, what am I looking at? Cork and shoe. And I promise you it'll be a funny video. Yeah, but has anybody, have you ever tried that? I did. I broke the bottle. So it was yeah, really I stupid. <laughs> I wonder how that's actually real. I don't think I did it right. <laughs> but uh, I could Google stuff about the earth being flat too. So. Yeah, you're right. And a million people will agree with you and they're they're stupid, but whatever. No, I think the, uh, the best one is a keg. I think kegs are fantastic because, you know, with the amount of people that drink wine by the glass and a good keg program, I think is great. You know, you keep it at the right temperature. You're not wasting bottles, corks, caps, labels, anything. And you know what? You're going to burn through that keg probably in a week if you're at a restaurant. And cool. If you like it, you can have it at home. And it doesn't affect the, the taste. I've been right. doing this long enough. I've never noticed. Cans, I think, are the iffiest ones. I think cans are great for the wine industry. You could take it everywhere you go. But I don't think anybody yet has been out there to influence a change to go, hey, guys, we need to we need to have wine in a can like the the perception of it just isn't you're never going to get older folks to do it. I don't think you're ever going to get anybody over 45 to be excited about wine in a can. So you have to direct all that energy towards everybody who's turning 21. Drink this wine in a can. It's great for you. Plus this. There's a legal thing in there. And I'm like 99 percent sure on this one, because when we were looking up cans, you cannot put wine into a 355, which is your standard can, your 12-ounce can for a beer. Can't be the same size, so it has to be different. It has to be the size of like a Red Bull or a Foster's, if anybody still sees Foster what cans beer out there. on the, the rights I'm to that 12-ounce can? I think can? they do, because we checked with a, I think what like, we checked 14, 15 different companies, and nobody would give us a can of wine the size of a beer can. It has to be slightly 
different size. That's crazy because now that I'm thinking, every wine can I could think of are always a lot of them are a little bit taller and yeah. more a little more slender. Yeah, and a beer, you know, you're drinking a 12 ounce bottle or an eight ounce bottle. I've seen a couple of those, but uh, you're drinking a very specific size. But if you drink wine in a bottle that big, that's a lot of wine you're drinking. So True. It might have to deal with the alcohol allowed. No, because you could do a bottle. Yeah, I've seen. I could put a straw cans. in a bottle. I've seen a liter can, which, by the way. I'm not going to put the company out there, but really, a liter can. I don't want to invoke super troopers here. I was about to say, a liter? It, it, really? It, a it, liter of wine? Is it Farva Falangina? <laughs> Farva Falangina. <laughs> yeah. I don't want a liter of Farva. Give me my damn liter of wine <laughs> in a can. I mean, I I don't. I would be freaked out a little bit by red wines in a can. They're just not for me yet. That's just internally. I can see it working well with rosés, sparkling, and... White, yes. white wines. That's the best way I think you could do it is sparkling. Start with sparkling because everything, everything that's in a can that you drink has got some carbonation into it usually. It's weird when you pour a can and still anything comes out. So 41% of wine consumers said that they would buy wine in alternative packaging if they knew that it was quality. I think that might that's, be the biggest so problem. I think a that brand name behind the some can. of the stuff that's originally went into alternative packaging, I don't think was the highest quality. I think some of the original Tetra package, which are like juice box wines. Yeah. I think some of those were very low quality wines to start with. And people that were excited to try it got the wine and were really disappointed. Uh, those Copa Divinos, I think they're called. Oh my God, I had those. I'm sorry. Those things were That was one of the so most, one of the grossest things bad. I've ever tried in my I've entire life. I've never had anything worse. Now, I don't, it might've just been the, the 12 bottles we tried were all, Bad bottles. I mean, like, bottles, who knows how long those were sitting there. Yeah. But I don't think the people making Copa de Vino are sitting there expecting to be like, what do you mean those are bad wines? Like, you're just, you're, you've packaged a pre glass of red or white wine or whatever that they put into it. But like the Australian the wine industry, one. this, you, you start to turn people off from it in its early stages of excitement. When the Australian wine industry, everyone was so excited about it and they start putting out mediocre products and then all of a sudden everyone shied away from it. And I think that is something that happened with the the Tetra Packs with some of the original alternative what, packaging. What do you mean Tetra Pack? Tetra Packs are like box. They're, yeah, they're like they're like juice boxes. Juice box. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You saw them popping up at like a uh, hippie stores, mm -hmm. natural stores, Whole Foods type stores. Yeah, because it's all recyclable. All exactly, yeah. and it's a much better product for the environment. And and I totally agree with it. But the first, like I said, the first couple that I saw were or I tried were not drinkable wines. No. It wasn't something I wanted to consume with my friends on a any night of the week. That's hard, too, because getting into box wine is really going out there. I mean, in all honesty, I think New Zealand has some of the best Pinot, um, Pinot Noir that I've probably had recently ever out there, but I don't see anybody drinking that. And even, honestly, as much New Zealand Sauv Blanc because it's all screw tops, and people are always afraid of, oh, well, screw top must mean that this is cheap. And it's not. It's just a better packaging. It's just an easier way for it to get from point A to point B without having to spend the the insane amount of money it must cost to bring cork in from Portugal down to Australia and New Zealand. It's probably so expensive that they can just have a capsule manufacturing facility in Australia and in New Zealand making screw tops and go, here we go. Just yep. pop these on. That's and oh, by the way, you can seal it right back and throw it up in your fridge and drink it the next day and not have to worry about it. And you don't get any cork taint. Because you think about it, if, if somebody could go and buy a can of a wine to try it to see if they like it first and use that be like, wow, that really is good. I'm now going to go buy the liter can. Yeah. Plus <laughs> this though. I think the other thing that people might miss a can of wine, you put a six pack. That's 
more than two bottles of wine, you're also there's no way you're spending, you know, what do you what's like an average six pack of beer? Nine bucks. Let's say nine bucks for a good craft beer for like a Bud Light, but wise are probably like six, seven bucks for a six pack. On a wine, if you have a six pack, that's a thirty dollar case or it's a thirty dollar six pack because those cans are going to be bigger. They're going to have two glasses in it, which each one will probably be like three, four dollars. And if you go really small and you do like the Red Bull size can, then okay, so let's say you've got a 187 and you're still talking 15, 16 bucks. So you can't sell a six pack of wine and do it cheap. You cannot have a six, or excuse me, a $10 six pack of wine. I mean, the wine's going to be insanely cheap and probably not that good. And if the people like this said they want a uh, quality, on a can, you're not going to get it if you get a $10 six pack. So, okay. So let's say you do a four pack of canned wine. Now you can kind of be like, okay, I'll spend the $15 for a four pack of wine. If you give them a bigger can, I think that there's no, there's never been an industry for wine or excuse me. There's never been an ability of wine to go after a can and be universal versus beer has been around since when did prohibition in 1930 something, you could have finally figured out, well, we don't want a 187 can. We don't want a 200 can. Oh, 355 is perfect. Well, all right, that's it. That's the can size. That's a universal can size because every single can of beer is the same size except for the Heineken mini kegs or whatever at this point. It's, it's true. It's actually very deceiving. We realized this when we were up at the fish show drinking bottles of wine out of Solo Cups. <laughs> that when you put Shout wine out to Red Solo Cups at a fish concert. Uh, great. Great but, wine but holding it, cup. It, it, it's dangerous. Because when you pour wine in a solo cup, it, it just bombed. Go, well, it goes so quick. Do we pour the whole bottle out in three cups? Yeah, and we it, all went. And oh. we drank it in seven minutes. Yeah, it wasn't. It was so easy. W- with a wine glass, it's very. So you brought up a very interesting thing about the can being twelve ounces versus a typical glass pour is only a six ounce glass pour. So typically, technically, a, a can of wine. If it's 12 ounces, it's two glasses of wine. Yeah, and if you got real technical and went old school, like a real glass of wine's technically supposed to be four ounces, which nobody does. But let's not kid ourselves. You're right. It's two glasses of wine. So if I buy a four-pack, it's actually like it's two more. bottles of wine almost. Yeah. So it's it's 1.7 or so bottles of wine in that four-pack. Yeah. That's deceiving. Yeah, and oh, by the way, you're holding a can. And now you're drinking the can. And now your wine's warming up while you're holding this can. So let's say you get halfway through the can 20 minutes later. Now you have warm wine in your can. True. So it's I, just, I just think that's such a hard thing to get into for wine. I think it's there. It's there, but I think universally, eventually, every winery, somebody will nail it. It's going to be a tiny can. I think the Red Bull size can is probably right that thin small size can that holds a glass and a quarter. And it comes with a koozie. Comes with a koozie. You know, for all you, all, all the ladies and men out there who just want to drink outside and have a go. By the way, tiny koozies. Just and all, all the koozies in the world are meant for cans. And now you got to have a small tiny koozie for wine stuff. But <laughs> it could be sponsored by Wine Facts. Yeah, Wine Facts, Wine Facts, <laughs> Wine Koozie. Keep your wine cool, like See, you. I think we're going to write a whole business plan while we're talking on this episode. No, right somebody's now. doing it for us right now. And they're like, oh, yeah, got it. Thanks, Keep talking, buddy. guys. Keep talking. We're, what, what are you opening next? We're going to be like uh, like that guy who, we're going to be those people who come with a million ideas and everybody else becomes billionaires at this point. Oh, my God. <laughs> we're going to be sitting there going, as, damn it. As long as some of you billionaires sponsor us, if that how magical would that be if we're actually sponsored by wine, everything, by wine facts? Everything we invented <laughs> along the way in our podcast. Wine, wine facts and, and wine koozies. Oh, my God. I mean, you never know. Screw you, corkscrews. That's kind of the way this world works. That's how it works.
Listen, yeah. guys, enjoy those ideas. Take them, keep them for free, but just down the road. Sponsor us. Sponsor us. <laughs> and you know what? Come on the show and we'll happily drink with you. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, they, that's why I just don't see cans being a thing. I think box wine is actually good. You know, it can get out there. You can bring it to a party. You put it up. It's got a funny stigmatism to it right now. But I'll tell you, I've had a couple box wines recently, like at uh, like when my friend threw like a pool party, he had a boxed white wine out there and he threw it into the ice thing and everybody pulled out and drank it. And it wasn't bad. It was a very drinkable white wine, you know, and it was cool. It was crisp. It was not bad. It wasn't going to be my things where I'm sitting there going, oh, this is amazing. Sparkling wine in a can is your best bet, I think, to get it out the gate. I mean, honestly, there's better wines going in bag in a box now than ever before. Mm-hmm. That industry is taking off. People enjoy the fact that they can take and get three bottles or so, get a three liter of bag in a box, put it in their fridge. It seals up. No oxygen gets into it. And I'm speaking not on my palate, but a lot of my friends and family. I was just met my friend Karen. She was out there at the fish show with us. She had a box of wine. She wanted me to talk she had about a box, it. Excellent. She totally had a box of wine at That's the fish awesome. show. I was like, you know what? We got wine too. <laughs> like, it's kind of where we're going now. Dude, in today's it was perfect. Society. I'll tell you, man. Sitting outside when it was 88 degrees, sitting in the chair in the shade, drinking that Rousson uh, from Novelty Hill. Uh, it was perfect. It was exactly when it was refreshing. Great buzz going into the show. Not dr- I didn't feel full. It was exactly what I wanted to drink yeah, well, before we went into that show. We'll actually do one of those uh, on the show coming up. Let's talk a little bit about Janica, the Janik the winery. Janik Winery. Talk to uh, Novelty Hill and Janik up in Washington. And was then, the, you made our fish show on what was the Saturday we drank those? Yeah, yeah. it was great. It, it really did make my night that night. I would. Oh, I, had I, such, was, I had a perfect buzz going into th- there. That, I was so excited. That was the best night of the three night run that we saw. For oh, me. easily. Like I just had so much fun. There was a certain vibe I had going on. Yeah. I had that wine buzz going. It was Saturday. Saturday was a great show. It was. Fish. And I, I'm very happy I got to go to the Gorge. That that venue, like we were speaking earlier, is one of the most beautiful venues I've ever seen. I think the only other one that might be up there, and I haven't been there, but the pictures might do... I don't even think the pictures do the justice for it. It's probably Red Rocks up in Colorado. The acoustics are much better at Red Rocks. I didn't... I will say about the Gorge, as great as it was, that wind, I love the wind. It was perfect. It kept it cool, but it would hit just right, and you would lose the sound in one ear because of the way the wind was coming in, and it kind of messed with the acoustics. So also got a great calf workout being at a 45 degree angle up on the lawn. <laughs> so, so, so my take on, on the shows is that I'm really happy I got a chance to go to the gorge. Yeah. The, the, the whole event, the, the feeling of walking up and over that hill and seeing the Columbia River in front of you with a music venue and everything. It, it was magical. The, the hike up and the logistics to get into the venue mm-hmm. left a lot to be desired. I was very disappointed with the Getting fact into of, the venue was terrible. It, it, sitting outside in the sun for two hours in a bottleneck. Dude, to go 80 feet, it felt like. It, it really, you, you would think that a venue that's been open for this many years could figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't the first time Fish has been there. This isn't the first time they've done a festival they there. They did a Sasquatch festival up there. Dave Matthews has played up there. There's been so many other big names that have played up there. Well, what was the security guard telling us they had the week before the country guy that was super famous, like whether it was Keith Urban and one, and even he said it was like, it was kind of difficult dealing with everybody getting in. It it was a bad bottleneck. Um, and I'm really glad that it was only high eighties because the week before was 101 and people might've been dying in that heat. 101 in the gorge in a two hours bottlenecked with 30,000 people to get in. Moving millimeters at a time. But it, as far as the venue, the campgrounds, everything, it was very, very well 
put together, very well organized. Great the, campground. The campgrounds well were so up. well kept. They kept the porta potties up like fresh, like every couple hours. Honestly, I would definitely recommend if anybody ever gets a chance to go to any concert at the Gorge, definitely do it. I it think it's th- unbelievably nice. I think a three night run was kind of long. I think a two night run would almost be better. Yeah. So because by the, the Sunday third, was a little much. By the third day, I was exhausted. I hadn't okay. slept much. Yeah. Sleeping on the ground, partying. I wasn't partying that hard, but the people around us were. So, of course, there was oh, no sleep. Yeah. Also, if at any point in any time everybody listens to this or the guy who is shooting fireworks off from 10 o'clock at night to 6 in the morning, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say, um, please don't do that again. And fuck you for doing that. That <sighs> was an endless supply of fireworks you had. Jesus. Usually the fireworks end when the sun comes up, but yeah. it was like 7.30 in the morning they were still and they were still fireworks. going off. How like, do you have you that many fireworks? You can't see them. Like nothing like setting off Jesus. fireworks during the daytime. Like, oh my was, you God. can't see anything. I just like, honestly, that guy must've just been like, I've got a thousand <laughs> of these. I'm going to do one every 30 seconds. I brought them to use them. Damn it. And I'm going to use all of them. God. <laughs> yeah. But man, that view, that breeze, everything about it was awesome. Awesome, awesome venue. And plus, it was, what, two-hour drive to Seattle? Not yeah. Even? And, and, you through, know, through an amazing, and I'm going to butcher this one, Snokle Me Pass. Snockle Me. Snookle Me. Snoke. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what it was. Snoke Jedi Pass. Yeah, a lot yeah. of those. God, it was beautiful going those through Those very uh, Native American style names. Reminds me of driving through upstate New York with all the Native American mm-hmm. Saudi names. So this wine has changed 50 times over. It got very medicinal on us. Um, we're talking about the white suave. By the way, two things. One, as we go back to wine, um, for anybody who's wondering what fish is, it's a delicious food and you should eat it. But uh, no, real fish is, um, it's a band, it's a jam band. And I always love to tell Dames because I've, I've never was a fish fan, but he got me onto it. It's one of the best concerts you can ever go to because they never play the same thing ever. They may play a song, but the way they jam out for 30, 40 minutes sometimes is fantastic. So if you ever get a chance and you want to go see something weird and awesome, go to a fish show. You know, it, it's just a good vibe around good people. You know, the one thing I always love about fish concerts is that everybody's out to take care of everybody else around them. If, if you're out Seriously, of... Seriously, some of the nicest, most helpful people. You're, you're out of water... You know what? Someone's going to give you water. If you're hungry and someone's cooking food, they're going to offer you food. We and had cold brew on a, on a little red wagon that could deliver to us in the morning. In oh, the my alleys. God. <laughs> you know, a big shout out to the Gorge Campground people. Like, every morning we're like, I could really use a Bloody Mary. And somebody and came somebody by selling by Bloody with, Marys. Yeah. We're like, we, mimosas, Bloody Mary, grapefruit juice. Coffees. Yeah. Guatemalan full, hippie full, coffee. Yeah. GMO free, <laughs> all organic Guatemalan. Peace be with you. Namaste coffee. <laughs> like we could get, I just fresh pressed it 30 seconds ago through goat hair. It's delicious. Like what? I'll it, take that. Yeah. Like it was. And they left people on. They let people vend. They let people just go out there and have fun. Security was barely ever there. Yeah. Like they were just, they just let people have a good time. They realized it was the right crowd to just let them yeah. be. Yeah. You know, and what one thing I always find magical about <laughs> it's, the it's like a Jimmy Buffett pe- concert for younger people where they just let everybody do their own thing. Yeah. But the thing about Jimmy Buffett concerts is people just get so wastedly drunk that it ends there where mm. something that's happened. I've seen this happen on fish concerts where somebody has left a camera behind at, say, uh, campgrounds. Oh, nobody and nobody. And it. well, not only does nobody steal it, somebody finds it at the end, then they take it and they post on all these message boards and nobody recovers it, so they go and they pay to get the pictures developed. They'll, de- they'll post one of the pictures on message mm-hmm. board and say, hey, if you took this picture, I have your camera, I'll mail it to you, and then it's 
Nine months later, someone goes, oh, my God, you found my camera. I've been looking for that. I have pictures of my father before he passed away on that camera. I saw something on Reddit where somebody, yeah, I found that. I, I think I saw a post like that where you're right. Same thing. Hey, guys, we found a phone. We're going to be at this show if you want it. Here it is. Otherwise, I'll mail it to you. Yeah. Like, it's, it's you a good feel community. Si- it's a great community. It's my favorite hate to love community because I love all you fish people. But if you try and sell me another crystal that you found on the parking lot floor <laughs> out there for my six pack of beer, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> I don't understand the crystals thing. I don't get the crystals thing either. Like, oh, this crystal brings energy and aura to this. Can I have all your weed and Bud Light? Like, what? I don't want to give you any of that, and I don't want There's your crystal. Huge boost, but here, just, just have a Bud Light. <laughs> huge boost of people just selling crystals. Chris, all the crystals. Like it's so like I picture them walking into a cave and losing their mind, tripping it away, like just chipping at it. Like oh, look at this. Crystal. Like the way Disneyland is for like little kids would be like Sedona. For <laughs> all oh the my God, the crystal people would think <laughs> Sedona was their mecca, their Vatican City. You'd be like, don't tell them about Sedona. Don't don't tell anybody. I don't want anybody <laughs> to know about Sedona. Sedona is totally not in Arizona. Nobody should ever come to. Arizona for Sedona and you should all leave it alone. <laughs> God, I love those people. Yeah. Dude, this uh this this suave is it's gotten, really cool. It's yeah, it's gotten like some like almost like banana cream going on now. It <laughs> like yeah, a little the, pineapple, like a little like candied pineapple. The, the, the nuances in the palette are so nuts. I, I don't think I've it's been a long time since I've had a white wine that had this many crazy deep nuances in it. To the fact that I mean we got to start talking about the red at some point, but we keep drinking the white. Yeah, keep drinking the white, right? Because I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't sure how it was going to hold up, especially because I have not had old Suave before, especially a 2008. Um, is this the last one you have, or do you have a few of them? No, this is it. This is it? Okay. I love going through your wine selection, man. You have some weird crap. 80% of it may or may not be cooked, but we're going to find out. We're going to find out. We're going to drink some bad wine on the show. Oh, I can't wait for those. <laughs> I can't wait for that really weird, obscure cider thing that you have in your fridge that looks like it's going to tear my mouth apart and give me herpes. <laughs> so there's... <laughs> I mean, I could do that right now if you really want. <laughs> there's... <laughs> uh, so there's a book that I'm thinking about getting. It's Jancis Robinson's Wine Varietal Book. Yeah. And it has something like 1,300 varietals listed in it. Awesome. That break down the DNA compositions, who they're related to, where it came from, like every little thing you could think you like on a, on a biological side, all these different varietals. And I think I want to get it for the show and have us start crossing them off. That'd be 1300 shows. Well, at minimum 650. Cause we're like, if we get to a show and some are so obscure, it's gonna be very tough to find them. Yeah. And we'd have to to go, probably have to go to that. And we'd have to do one hell of a celebration when we finish it off. We'd have to have like Jancis on the show, dude. That would be awesome. That'd actually be really fun. You'd have to have, have a big show, like have, have like four or five like big names. On. I have I, like you know, the funny thing is, I guarantee all thirteen hundred of them are probably grown in Italy too. <laughs> oh, it's so unique. A lot of Greek varietals, a lot of Spanish varietals, some of the mother varietals out there. The weird ones will be the uh, the obscure producer in some country that's uh, so. Oh, when, a perfect example of this. So in Spain, you and I had this wine one time. It's one of my. I loved this wine, and I can only find it in one place. It's called Vitadillo, and again. Knowing me, that's probably not how you spell that. But there's only like three vineyards left in the world, and they're all in this one spot in Spain. And I had some bottles of it, and we drank one when I, it was the weirdest wine ever. And I'm like, that's going to go extinct. They're all 100-year-old vines. So one good heat wave, one good disease, one good fire, and there goes that. So I'll get some of that, and we'll try that one day. So they finally approved netting in Burgundy. Took for, that long? for hail, man. Those—that's the one crazy thing about Europe—is they really they hold on to their laws. Their tradition, Whew. 
Like, you know what? Oh, we had hail damage, but it's okay. It'll get better next year. After 10 straight years, they finally say, you know what? Maybe we should we'll put up nets. probably put it up. Get used to the climate change. <laughs> well, they, 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 I think they ran some tests to see how it would affect some vineyards, and I think now it's been officially approved across the region. Okay. Now, Good. don't they quote me it, on man. this. That's I'm, what, I'm, like, f- like, no joke, five, six years in a row, they got really messed up on hail? And it's really screwed up the the financials behind the wine because every time they have a vintage where it gets killed by hail, then the price goes up and then mm-hmm. it happens again. The price goes up the pri- and the price just keeps going Not up. Not to mention there's been two years where the government had to bail out a bunch of producers just because they were getting obliterated by hail. If you have a small winery f- and a family who's like, yeah, this is our amazing vineyard and you lose 80% of it to hail and then you hope the other 20% is even drinkable. Yeah, you're not going to make it. That's brutal. We were in Piedmont one time and one of our producers that we were visiting his vineyard was just hit by hail and he had to cut it all down oh so as we went through the vineyard it almost looked like it was almost like new plantings everything was cut so all the all the foot tall yeah they're all like a a foot two feet tall and he's like it's going to be two to three years before i can get any wine out of these vines again yeah and even then you don't want to put it in your single vineyard stuff yeah it was that 10 year mark or well seven to ten year probably I couldn't imagine. I mean, I can go to work every day and make some money. Like you just lost your entire vineyard. Like you're screwed for three to five years. Yeah. All of a sudden you look at the radar and you're like, crap, there's a storm moving in. And now you got to be worried that it rains too much during harvest or you get hail in the wrong time of the year. Or God forbid you walk out one day and all of a sudden you've got like a disease breaking out through your vineyard. That's I'll I'll tell you, farmers probably have it really, really tough. They do. Real tough. I don't think that the average consumer even realizes what goes into wine production and the dangers, especially in fine wines. There's one thing if you're producing a million cases and you're putting mega purple yeah, in you're it. You're putting and Franzia out in the Central Valley or whatever that you need to do. Oh, well, if you lose like 10 acres, big deal. You got 17,000 more to support but you. But this, this guy who does a couple hundred cases of this and that and he loses a vineyard, like you're not doing any cases. That's yeah. it. Like, that's yeah, especially these these single vineyards. Uh, like a big, f- uh, I, I really, really enjoy this one Pinot Noir called Wayfair. And they have, I think it's it's six different wines, including a Chardonnay. And it's only Pinot Noir. So they have five different Pinot Noirs, and one of them is their Cuvée. And this year, they just released their 15, but they were like, it was too hot. It's kind of all universally the same. So we're only putting out our Pinot Noir, basically. So the other four are by themselves. I mean, even the Barbaresco that we love only did that one year, where they only put out their Super Blend. It's all like You've got this look on your face, man. Like you're really, like you're wondering about that wine. Bubble gummy now too. Like bubble it, gummy. It's crazy. It's just changed. Like like so a yellow much. bubble gum. Like the the one cent five cent coin thing that gives you the really super hard rock of a coin. <laughs> Those bubble gum pieces that tear your teeth apart, crack them a little bit. It's yeah. it, it's crazy. Oh, uh, like old banana. Yeah, like the banana candy. Yeah, yeah. I see what but, you're but it's with. not quite banana runs. No, not runs, but like bubblegum banana. Yeah. The yellow bubblegums. Yep. All right, I'm with you. Banana taffy? I See, I, I don't think, honest to God, ex- with the exception of the box you gave me, which ended up being all of Sarah's, uh, I never had taffy. <laughs> yeah, give I me got, that. Yeah, I know. I, 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 I got you like a eight-pound box or a 10-pound box of taffy from like the oldest taffy place yeah. in America. Ladies and gentlemen, it was at least 200 pieces of taffy. I ate one. And if you've ever seen like a dog when you give them a bone around other dogs and they just go over to the corner and like put their <laughs> paws in front of it <laughs> and guard it, <laughs> that was her. Dude, she she looked at me. She looked at the box. She looked back at me and she slowly hunched her shoulders forward, tucked that box in and just like disappeared. And she's like, I'm, I'm, 
uh, I'm only gonna eat like two of these. And I was like, okay, well, save me like a couple. And I swear to God, three days later, she's like, I don't feel good. I like, I just, I'm just too tired. I'm like, why? Meanwhile, I look over and the whole box is empty. <laughs> empty. I don't know how she doesn't have diabetes <laughs> at this point. Or how she's still skinny as a rail. Or how she, yeah, she's like no way to her. Oh my God. Thank God for metabolism. Yeah, right? But yeah, so like the one piece that I got to enjoy was uh, the one I hated the most. It was like, like uh, when they, they tie... The end of the Dum Dums, it's the mystery flavor because it's the end where they put it all together as one piece. The, the mystery Dum Dums, the, the mystery qu- the question dum-dum. mark. It's basically, uh, here's where apple and strawberry meet. So have this brown piece right here in the middle. We, we, we ran out of wrappers, so we're just going <laughs> to wrap the rest of them in question marks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so the taffy, no, doesn't quite come out for me. We should, we're definitely do a candy episode too, like. I'd like to. We discussed this a couple of years ago, doing a gummy bear episode or <laughs> doing a gummy bear tasting to see which wines pair with which flavors of gummy bears or which I, colors. I can't wait to do the hot tamale and red vines, and not Twizzlers, red vines. <laughs> Man, what's your problem with red vines? No, red I love Twizzlers. red vines. Twizzlers, Twizzlers does not taste at all like that's not licorice. Red vines is licorice. And everybody out there rolling their eyes right now saying, well, red vines taste like crap and it's sugar. Yeah, exactly. It's delicious. Get over it. <laughs> this is also a guy that goes to see every single movie that's made. So I'm sure you've had plenty of movie theater red vines. All the red vines. All the red vines. There. I mean, to the point where you take a red vine, you bite off the two ends and you put it into your Slurpee and drink the Slurpee through a red vine. I know. Mind blown to all of you I, out there. No, no, no. I think everybody's tried that at some point in their life. There's at least a few people who or are now like, what? You, you've tried it with Twizzler, what? but it didn't work. And then you try it with red vine, you're like, now I get it. I when people hand me, they go, Hey man, you want some liquors? They're like, cool. And they hand me a red vine. That person is now not my friend anymore. <laughs> All right. So two thousand the red. Yeah, yeah, let's go back to this red real quick, since it's had a lot of little time to open up. Cause otherwise we're gonna keep drinking all this white because it's just so unique. Yeah. I wouldn't stop doing that. And I mean something about Rosso to me, it's just amazing. I mean, this Rosso is hands down. My favorite Rosso I've ever had. This is really, really, really good. There's only the only other one I've ever had that I would put in the same category would be um, Bundy, bu, the ban, Bandy, Banfi. No, you're, not you're close. Uh, S B. Um, Re- strike that. And reverse it. B S. Biondi Santi. Biondi Santi. Yes. Yeah. God, that stuff was delicious. That we had was a. 14 or was it? No, man. It was like an eight or a nine. It was an eight or nine. Yeah, Yeah. it was. Because these are, I don't consider Roso something that I typically age. That'd be something interesting. I'd like to, I've never bought Rosos to lay down. So I've got one, not a Roso, but when we talk about things you can't age, uh, I've got a Nebbiolo from Giacomo that is just their Nebbiolo to Alba, but I'm going to let that age for a long time to see if it really is that crazy difference between the Barolo. So I, I mean, I'm imagining if you had this 11 Brunello, Versus this Rosso, they give them 10 years each. They'd probably be really fantastic together. So Subtly different, but just fantastic. So those of you who are out there who have never had a Brunello, who are maybe nervous about spending between 50 to $150 on a bottle of wine that you've never had, you don't know anything about it, go try Rosso's. Rosso's are a direct representation of somebody's Brunello, but a little younger. So it's a good way to... It's the trailer to the movie. It's the gateway drug into Brunello. Yeah. Like, this is how you get into it is 
you, you, you're like, man, I really love Rosso. Now it's time to step up. Try the Brunello. And you could do that through a lot of different regions. You could do this. You could do that in France. You could do that in Spain. I'm me being an Italian specialist. You know, you have stuff like Longue Nebbiolo. You have stuff like Rosso de Montalcino. You have Valpolicella Rapasso that, you know, I've had Rapassos that are like Amarones. Like when we represented Del Forno, Del Forno's uh, Valpolicella is bigger than almost every Amarone I've ever had. You notice we don't have that in America. There's not baby almost anything nope. in America. They have it almost everywhere else. I mean, uh, like Muga in Spain has four different Tempranillos, depending on its reserve, Grand Reserve, the new Especial, and uh, their basic Tempranillo. I, for the I mean, the Crianza, I think that's what it is. Wineries will, will release different price tiers, depending on maybe how old the vine is or how much they spend on the barrels. Yeah. But since we don't have designated wine regions that are restricted by what that could be grown in those, in those regions... It'll never happen in America yet. I think, unfortunately, it'll never happen. Give it time and patience, and unfortunately, I think it might happen. Do they do it a little bit in Napa? Nope. Think about all the designations you have: Napa County, Napa Valley, and then so if, they're slowly if, breaking if it down. I, even the if I live in Rutherford, if I live in Napa Valley and I want to plant Chenin Blanc, is somebody going to stop me? No. Is somebody gonna stop but me? You're, but is you're somebody gonna, gonna, but gonna you're stop? Not gonna make make enough money to survive, right? But I can't plant Cabernet Sauvignon in a Nebbiolo vineyard. In well, let me ask you this: Can you not plant it at all, or can you not? You can plant it, but now it's just table wine. Yeah, it's just gonna be table wine. So you can plant it. You can plant it. So you can do it. You can do but it. Like it'll everything, be, you're just it, not it gonna won't, make the It money. won't be anything. It'll yeah. be it'll be just table wine. Yeah, red. Yeah. So you can do that. But what's the point when you can make money? I, that's why I think, and I, I, would, I hope it doesn't happen. I never hope it happens in America, but so I could see it happening. Being the fact that, you know, land of the free, home of the brave, you know, people want to be free. People want, don't want to say, you're going to tell me I can't grow Cabernet? Look at somebody like uh, Robert Foley and his Charbono Vineyard. It's a Napa Valley Charbono Vineyard that around it they dug up every single varietal around it, and they're going to dig up that vineyard, too, to plant Cabernet because Cabernet got so popular and fully saved that Charbono vineyard. Really? There's a Charbono in Napa? Yeah. Okay, so Dariush has a Viognier vineyard in Napa. I think it's the last one left next to, like, with the exception of small guys doing, like, a couple rows, but, like, they take up a full-on block, and I it's for- delicious. I forgot who he bought this from. It was some, like, iron horse or something. It was some actual, <laughs> like, yeah, but it was some, like, actual, like, very prestigious old-school family yeah. that... At that point, it was uproot everything and plant cab. That's where you'll make your money. And he saved this little vineyard. And See, that's really cool because you know what? I mean, granted, the price will be up there, but that's fun to try a unique wine from an area like that. Like, I love, 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 love Brunello. But I had a Sangiovese recently from, um, man, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was up in Dry Creek, and he's one of the only Sangiovese producers up there. Oh, he also had Legrine. I think it was David Caffaro. And, like, what's a Legrine? And... This old hippie dude who was super nice was like, well, it's an Italian varietal for over here. And he's got the only vineyard. And it was delicious. It was absolutely amazing. Took a couple bottles of it. It was like 20 bucks. And it's nice to see. I love Napa. I love Napa Cab. But every now and then somebody pulls something out that you're like, wait, what? You guys grow this? That's always a fun thing. But if if somebody lived in Napa Valley and they produce Charbono and the law says you cannot call it Charbono from up here, you have to call it Rosso because we're cab country. You can either produce cab 
you can put it as cab on your bottle. Mm-hmm. If you put Napa on your bottle, it has to be cab. That's what it would be. If you put Napa, oh, if you I put, see where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I put Barolo, the name of the region, on my bottle, it uh, has to be Nebbiolo. 100% Nebbiolo and it has to be aged a certain way. So what you're saying is that when they put the word Napa on a bottle, it'll have to be Cabernet Sauvignon or at least a certain percentage of it, and it'll have to be aged a certain amount of time. So my Charbonne will have to be called... Rosso, Rosso. Or, yeah, Vino, or, 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 or 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 NorCal Red, NorCal Red. Yeah, you're no. right. You're right. Yeah, man. I, it, it'll never happen in America. See, There's too I, many people that are too yeah, free. They want to. They want to do. Here's what you're missing. It's California, dude. Anything could happen in California. Even more liberal. That's the thing. Is I think they're gonna keep. They have to keep it free. I, mean, I there's, hope so. There's AV, I always hope so. There's there's. AVAs that overlap each other in California. Yeah. Like, this is how confusing it is. We always talk about how confusing the Europeans are. Well, they're confusing just because the average Their person... Their laws are crazy. Well, because the average person doesn't know the geography over there. Yeah. Their laws are actually very, very straightforward as far as... If you're going to be Barolo, you have to be off of this hill. If you're going to be Burgundy, you have to be Pinot Noir. But you're right. Shard. You say a town, and nobody necessarily knows what you're talking about for the t- like. If you go, oh, I love Barolo, they go, what, what, what? Great, like, what is that? But however, look at what Italy did in some cases, like in a Chianti uh, or right next door Umbria, and they went, you know, we don't want to buy by your rules. So Tignanello comes out, makes a Sangiovese blend, and it's one of the best on the planet. But they made an entire designation differently. So you're right. I, I really hope. I really, really, really hope that they never, ever get to that point. I'm cool with the AVAs. I'm cool with having single vineyard cab from this thing and that thing. But sometimes, you know, if you want to tweak it a little bit, you should be thoroughly allowed to pay your taxes, put a little percentage into this, and call it a day. Sell yeah. your wine. And hopefully your label is amazing. Because our wine industry here is not the way it is over in Europe. We don't have the native grapes. You know, it's the, the people in Rioja grow Tempranillo because that's native to them. It's what they're their grandfather, great grandfather, great great grandfather grew. Yeah, it's their grape. We don't have that, so we're just planting everything. That's true. Yeah, That's we why we call and, Zin- and everybody thinks Zinfandel is a native grape, and it's not. It's from I, Tino, I, from I, can't, I can't name it after a grape. I can't name it after a grape because that grape's not from here, anyways. Yeah. Whereas you know you can name it after a certain region because that's where that grape comes from. You know, Garganaga. Garganaga. Garganega. Yeah, Brunello, Sangiovese. Well. What's a, what's a, what's the actual Brunello? It's Sangiovese Grosso. Yeah, Sangiovese yeah. Grosso. It's a, it's but a, watch, watch. UC Davis or like Cal Poly will invent a grape someday that'll be unbelievably good. Or or, or or science will change and they'll say that we thought Sangiovese Grosso was related to Sangiovese, but it's really not. It's actually this. Yeah, like Carmenere in Chile. Everybody thought they, it was Merlot. It turned out it was Carmenere. Yeah, they're always changing it. Like you know, science is. See, the one thing I really love about this Rosso, now that I'm smelling it, it's it gives you like a hint of brew, uh, like a hint of Brunello, but it still stays fruity enough that people will really enjoy it. It, it doesn't quite have the structure of some Brunellos that I've had, but this is also a, a Rosso that has a lot of age on it. You know, their current vintage of Rosso is probably 15 or 16. You know, they yeah, released theirs, I think, a little bit late. So their their Two current Rosso is so probably, probably 16. 16 yeah. That's probably what they're on right now. Where this is an 11. So this is already seen a lot more years than an average Rosso yeah. does see. Which, is, to me, it's showing it. If you look at the edges, it's it's bricky on the edge. It's got definitely lost some the color. The tannins are smoothing out. It's still a little grippy. But, yeah, the tannins are smoothing out. Acid's nice. You know... I'd be interested to try some old Rosos from, from some producers. I'd like to see how far you could push a Rosso. Like if somebody's got like a, oh, this is our 1950-something vintage Rosso. Not Brunello, but Rosso, and see if it actually made it that long. 
I've always found that there's a couple surprises occasionally that somebody made was amazing. Because Rosso producers never talk about age Rosso. To them, it's their just drink it today. Their bill, yeah, their bill paying the, wine. There's never an excitement from a producer that talks about his Rosso. Now, me with Fasacoli, I always got excited about this Rosso because it literally is the biggest, most defined Rosso I'd ever had. Yeah. I mean, besides, it should be able to fight against Chianti. Like they should be like, don't drink Chianti, drink Rosso. That's that's if I see a, a an uh, Rosso de Montalcino on a list, and it's a similar price as a Chianti. I'll always go, go to a Rosso. Rosso. Yeah, or same thing with with Longa It's like Nebbiolo. it's like an amazing lightweight fight. Like it's gonna be a good battle. But the Brunello is man, the welterweight, the heavyweight's gawking out, and you're like, oh, that's the one. That's I just be. know that I'm gonna probably end up ordering three bottles, and I don't want to spend the money necessarily <laughs> on three bottles of Brunello. Yeah, because it adds up quick. I, I would say I would. It's it's super difficult to buy that expensive of a bottle sometimes at a restaurant like Brunel, especially when you know the price points like three to four times at markup. Especially when I know my friends. Yeah. I know the way we drink. Yeah, the best way to drink is hands down with your friends. <laughs> there is no other way. I'm also notorious for sharing with everybody. Like I sit at a bar sometimes and I I get a bottle of wine and I pour half a glass of myself and I just Dude, send that, it down. That one time you were at a restaurant and had an entire meeting with the front of house staff with Amaro or what were we drinking? Was it Negro Amaro? No, Fernet. It, no, no, no. Uh, it, it was Sabona. Sabona. And, and I didn't even work. Showed up. And I didn't even work for the company anymore. <laughs> that was the thing was that I was no longer working with that company. Oh, man. We went through a lot of that, too. And I still did a staff training for them in a state that wasn't even my state. Not your state. Not your wine anymore. Not my account. You would just <laughs> quit, retired, whatever it was. Yeah. Man, that's it's always fun sharing a good one. You know what you can't do that with though? You can't really do that with beer unless you have another one with you. Because then if you have a six pack, you're like, oh yeah, drink this and have fun. But if you have a bottle of wine, it's nothing to pour a little for somebody else. You're like, oh, you got to try this. I'd be. That's what I like about wine sometimes. I would be interested to have some of the rate beer guys on the show at some point because some of these guys age beers and hold them. And so they could do verticals. Really? And they could say, I have this beer, like Matilda, and I have the 11, the 12, the 13, the 14, the 15, the 16. And we do a vertical retrospective of, of beers. I know Stone did that. Stone had one where they did like the same thing every single year. It was like Leviathan or something every single year. And I've never, ever, ever tried an aged we, beer. We, I, I've had a few. I've, I've been able to taste some of the stuff with some of the rape beer guys, uh, with Josh Reisner, uh, the guy who used to be the chef at Atlas. Okay. Um, I know we had a big group of guys that got together once a month and they would actually do, do beer flights, do beer, or beer verticals. Yeah. That's so really they were, cool. they were the first people I ever met that were super into aging beer and it interested me and I aged a couple, but then I drank them all and I stopped aging them cause I just mm. had a problem with drinking them. I wonder what their life shelf is or excuse me. Shelf life is, is a uh, year, two years, couple years. Like I, I just wonder how that one goes or if it's like, man, this is a seven year old beer. This is fantastic. I think it's just like wine. You never know. I mean, I've had wines that I never thought would hold up that have. I never thought this Suave would hold up with a dam. I mean, I knew it would hold up yeah, a I bit. Yeah, you're but right. Open it, drink it. Open it, try it. You, that's the only way you're going to do it is to check it out and see what happens. Yeah. Um, you know, especially with beer, we've been exposed to such cheap beer for so many years that have born on dates that you don't want to age. Yeah, born on dates. But, but, but nowadays, people are... People are finishing beers with corks, wax. They're they're saying age this. They're putting special yeasts in them, like Odell's Freak. Like that was a a Britannomyces. Uh, uh, I remember that one. It, it was a like a Frambois Creek blend, like a sour raspberry cherry. But then Brett was added into it, corked, and they said age it and don't open it for this amount of days. 
Well, I mean, like the ones that sometimes they even do the pre-aged ones. Or not pre-aged, but like what's the right word? Like, uh, well, so Stone is the drink by because their hops are so fresh. Well, is, that their aniver- is that their anniversary no, beer that they did? Well, they've done anniversary beer, like their Stone Ruination. They did like Ruin 10, Ruin 5. And they say don't drink before this date or something like that. Yeah, they did the don't drink by, and then they do the drink by. The drink buys are, hey, listen, we just brewed this two weeks ago. You've got like a month to have this super fresh hoppiness. So... I like that. Like, uh, I'm, I'm a personal fan of a little bit aged wines, not insanely aged wines, but mostly because I've never had insanely aged wines. But like this Rosa right now, this this 11 is, there's a fruity characteristic in there. Like I'm getting like a little bit of red fruit, whether it's cherries or even kind of strawberries. But then there's this earthiness like that's slowly working its way out because, you know, it's an older wine. So I, I think... It's not even that old. It's seven years. But but what you're saying is, so often when we try an aged wine, it's already aged to the point where it's aged. We don't hit that in between. Yeah. So either I try a wine that is young and fresh or it's almost past old. its prime. Yeah. Where this is right at that over the it, it's Just that barely past the peak. It, it's well, it's turning a the fruitiness. It, it's turning a corner to an aged wine. So you're getting that hybrid between a young wine and an old wine. So you're getting a little bit of both. So it's yeah. actually really fun because you could it's showcasing nuances of a young wine and an old wine at the same time, which I find tends to be what I like. Like I like good aged Napa, and by aged Napa, I only mean like a Five seven years? yeah seven year period is probably the. Honestly, the best. unless it's coming off of a mountain, but like honestly, most Napa wines I have, you have a seven years, it's perfect. The tannins are smoothed out. It still has a ton of fruit into it, but it's definitely heading into old age territory. But when you and I have those auctions of older wines, we both kind of look at each other like that's not our style. I think that most of the wines you and I have had that are aged have not been aged properly. Yeah, it's very possible. It's difficult in the state, too. Correct. And even when we get wines on auction, you got to remember that, like, you know, our buddy bought those uh, 96 Mondavi reserves. Mm-hmm. They ship here, they go on an airplane, they go in a UPS thing, they get banged around. They're in his. Uh, you, th- these ha- did not lay in a cellar motionless for 10 years. Yeah. Who knows what these have gone through? Yeah. So the conditions maybe aren't always ideal in most of the wines we've had. We do a special party a couple times a year for wine. The one we did last year was a 21 and over party. So (laughs) every wine or every couple had to bring at least one wine that was 21 years or older. A lot of people that were at that party said, I realize I don't like old wine. We had, what do you think, 30, 40? Easily 35 to 40 wines that were 96 or older. And in all honesty, in my opinion, I think only three of them were good. I think most of them weren't stored right. Yeah. I think it's what it came down to. I think if all those wines were stored under pr- ideal circumstances, they would have been very different tasting. But do you think that's what it was and not just the fact that... Because, by the way, most of them, I think out of the... Let's say it's 40, 32 of them were all Napa. But even... And the other eight was like there was the random Spanish wine. There was the random Italian wine. I think because I brought a Barolo. I think you brought a Brunello or something really obscure. I had the, but everybody I had brought the, Napa. I had the 91 Kistler. Yep. And then I had, I forgot what I can't yeah. remember. I brought a but, couple other ones. But, I, but somebody brought the 88 uh, Spanish white, which was unique and it was really weird. But honestly, I even if let's say they stored them right, I just think it's just not the style that I was going for. And I have a lot of older friends who love that style. What was that look right there? You smelled the white wine and it's you were just like, crazy. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've ever had a wine that has just. Made my brain. I'm loving this rosa. Go so many different directions. All right, hold on. I'm going to the white. Let's see. Hey, all right. Got a guest. 
Yeah, we'll let, they're dropping off some podcasting equipment, so we'll let that leave us sit out front for a minute. Have the Amazon guy come in, huh? So I'm dropping off the package for you. That's exactly what that is. Yeah, you're I guess like, this one is crazy. It smells like peaches now, which yeah. is weird. It smells like fresh peaches. Yeah, that's super weird. It's it. I literally, I don't think I've ever seen a white wine change so much over a period of an hour and twenty three minutes. Yeah, hour and thirty minutes. I don't. I don't even know what to say. Good, and that's a, that's the best thing sometimes, especially like when we have the right group of friends. Is nobody will just pound that bottle. I mean, with the exception of like the <laughs> a couple of our friends who pour a full freaking glass, but we'll let a bottle sit for an hour to two hours before anybody kills the damn thing, so you can try it as such unique flavors. Yeah, that's. That white wine is so weird. You just gave us a power sniff on that. I, I could hear that through my mic. Yeah. <laughs> I had a good little echo go into it. You're going to have somebody pass out one time from taking just such a deep breath. <laughs> it's, I challenge people to age some white wines after doing this. It makes me want to lay more white wines down. Mm-hmm. I'm always nervous to age anything besides Riesling. Yeah, at least you know Riesling can go forever and a day. And I know the direction it's going. I kind of got an idea of what's going to happen. Gasoline, fart, and perfect taste. If, if, if I go an extra five years on a Riesling, no big deal. Not like it's, it's not going to change. I know, that wine is so nuts. We'll post, yeah. some pic- we'll, we'll post some pictures of these and put it up. Yeah, we'll always have pictures of our wines that we're drinking and maybe even the color of the wine at some point. All right, so yeah. so challenges for each of us on the show. So I want to do right. I want to do uh, once a month blind tasting where you bring a bottle blind, I bring a bottle blind. Ooh, I like it. And we just talk about it randomly, Excellent. and then we'll unveil it at the end of the show. I can't wait to bring Zima Light. I'm a, I'm gonna pour Zima in a wine bottle <laughs> and put a cork on it and really throw you for Ooh, a this loop. This is a sparkling wine. Hmm? Yeah, you're right. You get it corked in there with a perfect top, and like, wait, what? I'll bring some. Have you had blue wine yet? I never blue wine. What? Yeah, it just hit. Oh my god! There's a country that just launched blue wine. I think France just launched blue wine this week. How do you do blue wine? Like, what grape skin has enough to give it blue? Blue. I don't know. It was. It was something. Well, I guess we got to drink that. At, at Provine, we were actually challenged to find some some blue wine, and at the very end, one of our friends actually found a bottle and brought it over. We just started drinking it, and it was blue. Like it, like blueberry blue, or like. Like Caribbean Ocean Blue? More Caribbean Ocean Blue. That's actually a good way to describe it. Huh. Yeah. It was That's weird. a little sweet, kind of a little blueberry-ish, but maybe that was all in my head. Maybe yeah, I to, right. You see it and you think yeah. of blueberry. It, it was unique. So uh, we will... We'll I will do, do that more, one day. I will do more research. <laughs> maybe we should compare colored wines one day. Orange, blue... I'm sure there's another weird one out there somewhere. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, this this Suave is almost bordering on what's gold. What almost borders on orange wine to me. The, even so. even the flavor profiles are almost bordering yeah, on because it's just got a gold, like it's real gold looking it's, color. It's more gold than my yellow legal pad that's in front of me right now. Yep. Yeah. Kind of. It, it's like. No, nah, I was gonna say apple juice, but apple juice can be brown. There's no brownness to it. I've noticed. Yeah, these these wines have been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, really fun. You know, that's the challenging thing about wine because you never know where it's going to get go. I mean, the Suave is an 08, the Rosso is an 11. Yeah, totally two totally different paths. Granted, it's different grapes. Yeah, it's same country, and they're probably only a hundred miles apart. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 happy about these ones. I would definitely recommend anybody who wants to try some new red wines to get out there, do a Rosso, 
And if you want to try a white wine, the Suave, when because I, I know you and I have drank this a few times when it's fresh. It's a really nice wine. Do, do, but if you want to have it with a good dinner or something, age one's delicious. So tell you what, ne- next show, let's do Verdejo, Zweigelt, and or Suave. Okay. Fresh. Yeah, take it from the, uh, the list of... The list of the most talked about ones. I'd like to actually... And also have you talk about uh, uh, a young Suave and the comparisons, because I would hate our listeners to hear us talking about this... Uh, you know, banana cream pie and peach cobbler <laughs> and 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 bubble gum characteristics and this 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 does not taste like any other suave I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah, and you're right. And, and honestly, if anybody goes and buys a suave right now, you know what they're gonna get? 18, 17. They're, they're gonna get Pinot Grigio Sauvignon Blanc characteristics. Yeah, I know you guys hate me for saying that. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna say a lot of things on this show that people go, "Oh, I get that," and other people go, "These fucking I, idiots." <laughs> I, I wonder if they're doing Garganaga anywhere in the United States. You know, where would you? New York? Maybe? Maybe Oregon, where it's colder? I mean, I could see it in Oregon. I could see it in Oregon. I could see Oregon for sure, because Oregon is Pinot Blanc, Pinot Grigio does well up there. I love Pinot Blanc. Yeah. But New York would be probably a good place to do it. Those real cold areas. I bet even, honestly, even up in Canada might be doing some really obscure wines. You ever had any New York wines? Yes. I had really good Riesling. Uh, dry Riesling, and I had a really good gruner that made me happy. Uh, so le- Corey from Suvino went oh. up to New York. He came back down. He brought a random 12-pack. He gave me six bottles, and he's a huge gruner fan. So he brought down four gruners, a Riesling, and a grape that, honestly, I couldn't remember. It might have been a Pinot Blanc or something. Uh, but most of them were okay, but there were two outstanding gruner and a Riesling. That'd be another fun thing to do, to cross off varietals and have a wine from all 50 states at some point. Oh, we should definitely do that. We should have like uh We're going to have a whiteboard of all sorts of shit to cross off. This dude, is going to be hilarious. I can't wait to have Montana wine at some point in here. Or what's a terrible one? Oh, uh, I'm not saying you guys are terrible. I'm just saying we're going to try you. Hawaii, Maui, pineapple, or mango wine. Okay, first of all, I've had pineapple wine from Hawaii, and it was one of the best things I've ever put in my mouth. It was unfucking believable It was so goddamn good. Are we we still doing phrasing? Yeah, so... (laughs) Uh, my f- one of the first wine parties, this might have been before I even met you, one of our first wine parties we threw, <laughs> I told everybody, we're like, we're going to throw this high-end wine party, and I'm bringing pineapple wine. And it was a joke. We're like, yeah, whatever. I know what you're going to bring, blah, 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 blah. So at the end of the night, I actually busted out a bottle of Hawaiian pineapple wine. I made everybody drink it out of the bottle. Nobody was allowed to put it in their glass. And it was unanimous. Everybody literally was like, this is one of the best things we've had. It was so good. Probably we were expecting the worst, and that's why it tastes so good also. That also, if you lower your expe- expectations down to nothing, it's going to be amazing. I think that's why some high-end wines, people are disappointed. You're right, because they all of a sudden, oh, this is the best wine here's I've ever a, had. Here's a $1,000 Chateau whatever. People are expecting it to be 100 times better than that $10 bottle of wine Well, that was like, we, uh, we all sat in that room that one time during that, I think it was the 21. No, it wasn't the 21 and over party. It was the one before. And we were all hanging out there like we were the stoners hiding off in another room drinking this special wine. It was the 1986 Lynch Bags. And I have no clue about French wines, but all I could think of was somebody farted in my glass the entire time and I couldn't get through it. I'm pretty, sh- I'm pretty sure it's not Lynch Bags, but... Yeah, I'm <laughs> we'll calling go, it Lynch Bags. We'll go with that because it's the theme of the episode also, today. Also, sorry to <laughs> Peter because I know you brought that wine and 
uh, man, Peter, I've known you for a while, and you're one of the nicest people out there, but that was not my kind of a wine there. Yeah, but once again, I don't think it might not have been stored properly. No, honestly, I think it was. I think it was right. I just think I was not prepared for that. After we drank all those Italian and California wines to get like a French wine thrown into that, especially that French a 30 wine. 30-year-old one that yeah. was... Yeah, like, what was it? Is that a... That's not a... Um, shoot, what's that classification? First growth, second growth. It's a second growth, right? I don't know. Uh, you know what? Whatever. It wasn't my style. Sometimes, as much as I love fart my Brunello and it smells good, not in a French wine. Yeah, it's funny. People pick on me about the whole uh, barnyard characteristic. That, like, I just poured I this Rosso it. right now. It's getting it. It's, it, it's, it's come out later. I'm pretty sure a horse ran by and farted so, in my glass. So it's crazy because usually when a wine starts to get barnyardy, it's right away. Now it smells like a Brunello. So, so a lot of times it gets barnyardy right when you pour it and it blows off. Yeah. You're, like, you're like, 10 minutes later, you're like, oh, it's gone. This wine has actually gotten more barnyardy as it's been as it's sitting, gone, but yet still tastes fruity. Yeah, yeah. No, these were great. This is a good selection of wines that Just we had today. Super fun nuances, but yeah, I think next time definitely let's do a fresh suave. Let's do Verdejo. I mean, hey, Zvi- fresh white wine. Zvigel. Let's not have cesium one thirty seven in our wine. Yeah, but you know what? Maybe it gives me superpowers like the Hulk, and I could pound seventy three glasses True. of wine in one day and not be drunk. Would you rather? Ha- would you, would, would you rather have the superpowers from the Hulk or Spider Man? Oh, because those are both radiation, right? Was Spider-Man radiation? I yeah. thought he just got bit by the spider. And he but got the spider the was radiated, I yeah. thought. Yeah, but see, the problem with the Hulk is you're not in control of the Hulk. The Hulk is the Hulk, and then you're uh, Bruce Banner. Or you're Spider-Man, you're Spider-Man. Like, yeah. you are... But you're a little wimpy kid who... Yeah, but you could beat the crap out of everybody. That's like a Barolo to me sometimes, man. It looks like it should be this little wimpy nothing, and then it kicks the crap out of your teeth. That's our Spider-Man wine? Spider-Man is Barolo. <laughs> That's funny. It looks weak, and man, it just beats you up. So yeah, this was a uh, this was fun. Yeah, cool. Let's wrap it up. Yeah. So let's uh, the two wines today were Suavia Suave. They're La Rive, La Rive. It's a 2008, and then the Fasacole Barroso. Barroso. Yeah, I almost said Brunello because it's Barroso. I, I, from I I, <laughs> I I love their Brunello so much. Every time I say Fasacole, it's I, an Australian Barroso. That's a uh, Freudian slip. <laughs> Just going right to it. Right. So so. Please check out Fasacole. They're one of the smallest producers out there. Good family. They're, they're, yeah, great family. I mean, I'm big shout out to them. I check them out at every European festival I go to. They're always out there pouring. Um, the the son is the one they make pour because of course grandpa and dad are too busy working making the wine. So yeah, working in quotes by hanging around drinking it and testing it, and yeah, making no, sure it all works while the son does all the work. Stefano's amazing. Yeah. Like those wines, definitely big shout out to Fasacole. Uh, we'll try one of their Brunellos, and I actually have their. Uh, 2010 anniversary wine that we're going to hold on to. We're going to drink that on one of our special episodes. So uh, once again, I'm Damien. This is Jonathan. Jonathan. Y'all have a good night.